Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. All witnesses, persons of interest, or suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Whose woods these are, I think I know. This is Method and Madness, Episode 74, One More Sleep, Morgan Patton, Part 1. I'm your host, Don Gandhi. Morgan, 24 years old, sat on the couch, jotting down ideas in her notebook, before snapping it closed and placing it on the coffee table in front of her. It had only been a few days since her engagement, but she was already filling the pages with all the little things she'd love to have at her wedding, to make it just right. She shut her eyes and sighed happily, thinking about her future. The bliss she was feeling as a bride-to-be made her smile at any given moment. It was November, 2019. And soon, she and her parents were going to go looking at venues. For Steve and Renee Patton, they too were overjoyed to see their only child so happy, so in love with her fiancé, Phil Brandon. Before exploring wedding venues, Morgan was first packing her bags and heading from her Massachusetts home down to Camp Geiger in North Carolina for a long-awaited reunion with Phil, a Marine. He'd been through basic training since July, graduating boot camp in October, and this would be their first chance to see each other since he proposed over the phone. But there would be no celebration with her fiancé, no whirlwind romantic weekend in North Carolina, no engagement parties or bridal shower, and there would be no wedding invitations engraved with the name Morgan Renee Patton. Instead, for a brief period, Morgan would be known only as Jane Doe by the first responders who found her body in a ditch. On today's episode, you'll hear from two grief-stricken parents and a heartbroken fiancé who have had to face the unthinkable. And now, they want answers. This is Morgan's story. Let's dive in. In a little while, you'll be introduced to Phil Brandon, Morgan's fiance. Now, Here are Morgan's parents, Steve and Renee Patton. They've been collecting all the information and documents they can for the past four years. Freedom of Information Act requests, police reports, investigative interviews, which they've shared with me on their journey toward justice. The Pattons still live in the New Hampshire home they raised their daughter in. We had Morgan in 1995, October 1st, 1995, and she had actually been, Renee had been carrying twins 
early on. And we didn't know until Morgan was born that we had lost the twin in the middle of the pregnancy. Right, because I, I thought I had lost her, but they come to find out. They, they said, no, there's still a heartbeat and you're good. But when I gave birth, we I was got very, very sick right after and I had two placentas. But we learned after that that Morgan really was our only opportunity to have a child. The Renee's doctor had told us that carrying a child to term, we had a one in a million chance. And Renee reminded her that we had a child. And she said, well, there's your one in a million. So we, we made the best of it for as long as we had with her. For as long as they had her, which is never enough for any parent who loses a child. For the most part, until Morgan went to school, Renee was home with her. And then when Morgan went to school, Renee went to school with her, worked in the same school. So she wasn't, Morgan was was raised by her parents. When she was reading when she was three years old, I found a note from her kindergarten teacher the other day that her teacher talked about Morgan reading out loud to the rest of the class in kindergarten. And it just reminded me of those days when she was... She was, she learned to love reading by that time, by, you know, by five, six years old. And we used to have to force her to put her book down so <laughs> we could have dinner together. And that was another thing that was a, a rule in the house is right up until she moved out of the house is at the end of the day, we all sit down, we have dinner together, we talk about our day. And I think some of our, some of my best memories were, were sitting down at the end of the day and talking about. We had a prompt for our conversations when it seemed to be lacking. And Morgan would tell me something that she learned that day, and I would tell her about something I saw that day. And it was kind of fun. From the way that the Pattons talk about Morgan, and even in how I see Renee looking at her husband while he speaks, I can tell there's a lot of love in this family. I take her hiking almost every day, and... She was probably about three years old, and we went up Mount Kearsarge, and she gets to the top, and she says, Mommy, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> she just appreciated the outdoors and some sports, music. She's talented in many ways. Very well-rounded. We did literally everything together when she was little, and I would take her hiking and to the beach and to museums and with friends and the ocean and little day trips. And they were, they were learning trips. They, she learned a lot. And then when she got older and she moved away, I would go visit her as often as I could. And we would just have so much fun. She would finish a book and dad, you need to read this. And I, Morgan, I'm about 58 behind you at this point. You know, it's, I just, it was incredible how much she read you know, right up until she had a, the book she was reading with her when she went to North Carolina. It's just, she never went anywhere without her book. When she was 21 or 22, Morgan got her first tattoo. In her own handwriting, the words, miles to go, on her back. It became a mantra for Morgan, and those three words became her legacy. She'd gotten it from Robert Frost's stopping by Woods on a snowy evening. Her personality really evolved as she grew. 
she was she earned the nickname Mouse when she was little because she was just so quiet and and she seemed so shy that she we we were kind of concerned for a while if we maybe we didn't assimilate her enough as a when she was little, but she was very observant and she used that later on as she started to come out of her shell. You know, she, while she was sitting there being quiet, she was soaking it all in and learning from everybody else. And when she came out of her shell, she came out and had a lot to say. <laughs> had a lot to say. And then when she had something important to say, it was thought through and considered pros and cons. And she put a lot of thought into a lot of different things. And I think that's why, as a young adult, she could set her goals and focus on what she wanted to do in life. And she would do it. She would make up her mind and that that was it. <laughs> she was a go-getter for sure. And she's funny and just absolute joy to be around. I don't think anybody would ever say that Morgan was like the life of the party or, you know, lit up a room when she walked in there. But everybody always knew that she was the one that they could count on if they needed somebody. Always. From the time there again, going back to when she was when she was little and making friends in school. And, and there would be a chorus event or a band event at school. We'd end up making several stops on the way there because there were certain kids that didn't have a ride to get there. And Morgan had promised them all, we'll get you there. Oh, you know, we were we were running the taxi and Morgan told us where everybody lived and let's go round them up. And But all through her life, Morgan's friends leaned on her when they needed her and knew she would always be there. One aspect of who Morgan was, as it will be described in a moment, makes the events that occurred on the night she died all the more baffling, all the more questionable. She would just sit and take the time to think things out and write it out. And then she also use it towards us too. (laughs) Well, I think I should still go to the dance because X, Y, and Z explaining why she thought it was a good reason (laughs) and so was going to be there and they're sad and I need to be there to be with them and stuff like that. (laughs) He had a quality that I don't know how she acquired it, and I'm not sure that I've met ever met another person that handled it as well as her. But time, it's almost like time, I can't say that it meant nothing to her because she used her time wisely. But if something came up that she wasn't ready for, and she would put it on a shelf and say, I'll revisit that in two years. It never, once she made a decision, it never bothered her that, you know, two years is a really long time. It's you know, maybe I should do that now. It was, nope, I'm going to do that in two years. And it was put away and decision was made. I, there was, she didn't do anything impulsively. It was, it was planned and it all fitted in her timeline. As a little girl, Morgan loved animals, her cat, Tigger, or any other little critter she came across. She once taught a frog to jump through a little hoop and even toyed with the idea of being an animal trainer. But it was the sciences that really caught Morgan's attention. She got her bachelor's degree in geoscience with a focus on energy. She wanted to be the one to solve the world's energy crisis. She graduated without any debt and went on to immediately apply to the Coastal Environmental Law Program at Roger Williams University in Rhode Island. In 2018, Morgan met the love of her life. I'm Phil Brandon. I am Morgan Patton's 
fiance. We actually met through Tinder, which I feel uh, both of us feel a little embarrassed by just because of the rap that Tinder gets. But we, we both felt incredibly lucky to have come across each other. She didn't want to give out her personal information like Snapchat or text messages or anything like that. And so we talked on Tinder for a while and then we eventually got to texting each other and phone calls and stuff like that. And, but all in all, I think we communicated over different kinds of social media like that for at least a month before we ended up meeting in person just because she wanted to make sure I wasn't just some weirdo from the internet, which I don't blame her because the world is a messed up place. But we, we immediately hit it off and we ended up going to our, our first date was this Mexican restaurant over on the Cape called Anejo. And I was doing the best that I possibly could to just be a gentleman because I didn't want to be a weirdo and scare off or anything like that. And but we had a, a, a great dinner and, and we went for a walk along the beach afterwards and we're just talking and holding hands and all that kind of like first grade kind of stuff. <laughs> but we walked back to her car and she was going to bring me to the boat and I had finally worked up the courage to kiss her and she pulled away a little bit after we first kissed and she looked at me and said, it took you long enough. (laughs) When you know, you know, Morgan and Phil found themselves falling in love and planning their futures together. As things got more serious, Morgan had made it very clear that she had already made a plan for herself. She was going to go or she was already enrolled at Roger Williams Law School. And she very politely said that this is what I'm doing. You can either come with me or this this isn't going to work. And absolutely, I mean, who am I to try and convince you to change, you know, what you've always dreamed of doing? But we, we talked about it a, a couple of times. And her being just the, the understanding and fair person that she is, she kept bringing it up, you know, like, you know, I'm I'm doing what I want to do. What about what you want to do? And that was actually what led into my enlistment of the Marine Corps. I I had always wanted to serve my country through military service. My grandfather, he was in the 29th Infantry Division during World War II, and I've always thought that his story was pretty amazing. Morgan's father was a Marine, and she had a good idea of the kind of support Phil would need while going through basic training. She encouraged her beau to reach for his dreams. Phil had purchased a house in Egerton, Massachusetts in 2018, and Morgan moved in with him in January 2019. As things were getting more serious with each other, the couple discussed their goals, supported one another in their career pursuits, and met each other's parents. We were delighted. We saw somebody that made Morgan the happiest I'd ever seen her. Yes. He was he was very well received when he arrived here. They began they started dating, I believe it was in August of 2018. And we met him November when she brought him home. And yeah, he just he fit right in. And it was it was obvious that 
he was good for her and that she was good for him. And as Renee said, he made her very happy, which is, we couldn't ask for more. She was more herself than she'd ever been. You could just see how happy they were. It just, there was no denying that they were meant for each other. The light that she brought into my life and just her general presence being here and helping me with everything that I was doing made me feel like we were building a home together. And when she did end up moving in, it really did feel like a home rather than just a house. And while I was at boot camp and you know, at, at the end of our day, I'd lay in my rack and try and think about different things to try and help calm me down from all the training that we were doing. And really all I wanted was to be back home with her and just have a quiet night together. I mean, that was what we preferred to do. We actually joked about how her parents went out far more often than we did. <laughs> and we, we joked about how the roles were reversed. We felt more comfortable being at home, just the two of us. And I mean, we, we went out every once in a while, but we felt more comfortable just having each other. And she just had a light about her that just made everything better. She would call her parents nonstop and she would vent to her mom thinking that maybe I'd forgotten about her or she would question her dad about how long it usually takes for somebody to send a letter home. And when I was finally able to send my first letter home, I addressed one to my parents and I addressed a second one specifically for Morgan. And my mom had checked my uh, PO box that day and she brought it to Morgan while she was at work. And my mom told me that just seeing the letter, Morgan had collapsed to the floor in tears. And she was so excited to have finally heard from me that she had an address to send her letters to. And Renee actually witnessed firsthand while I was in boot camp that Morgan didn't do anything else with her day until she put a letter in the mail to me. Getting her letters every day made everything so much easier. And I actually had somebody ask me in boot camp and how I am able to go through every day. I actually have a smile at the end of the day. And I, I told him that the letters that I get from Morgan, they remind me that as, as tough as this is, I'm, I'm going home to her. And that, that pain is temporary. And I, I look forward to coming home to her every night and, I am not very religious, but in, in boot camp, they push religion pretty hard, and we'd pray in the squad bay every night, and I I actually prayed for Morgan and I to have a, a long, happy life together. Morgan had picked up extra shifts at work to keep herself busy while Phil was away at boot camp, something he really appreciated. Not only was she passing the time during their separation, but she was working hard to get that financial security not just for her and Phil, but so that Morgan could take care of her parents one day. And then, while Phil was training with the Advanced Infantry Training Battalion, Camp Geiger in North Carolina, he popped the question. It's, it's so embarrassing to, to say that, that our proposal started off as a text conversation. And so she did not take me seriously at all. She thought I was joking with her. And so I called her and I said, no, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And you're just the most incredible person that has 
ever come into my life and I want to go through life with you. And so she said yes. Phil got the blessing he needed from Morgan's parents and it was all set. The two announced their engagement on October 26th, 2019, thrilled to begin the rest of their lives together. Phil was so thankful for Morgan putting law school on hold so that he could go to boot camp, moving out onto Martha's Vineyard and into his home where she didn't really know anyone. Their support for one another was unwavering. It was Robert Frost, one of Morgan's favorite writers, that penned this. Suddenly, quietly, you realize that from this moment forth, you will no longer walk through this life alone. Like a new sun, this awareness arises within you, freeing you from fear, opening your life. It is the beginning of love and the end of all that came before. Fourteen days after their engagement, Phil was given an extended weekend. He and his fellow Marines, under student status, would be permitted to sign out and go off base for much of the day, and Morgan was invited to come down to North Carolina for a visit with her fiancé. There were hotels near Camp Geiger, where Phil was stationed, ten miles south of Camp Lejeune. And so, Morgan booked a reservation at the Baymont Hotel and Suites on Western Boulevard in Jacksonville, North Carolina. It was somewhere comfortable she could stay at night when Phil had to return to his base. Morgan would have access to restaurants and stores nearby. At 5.30 a.m. on November 8, 2019, Morgan began her day-long journey from Martha's Vineyard to North Carolina. The only person that she knew that would be awake would be her dad, because her dad routinely gets up at 4 a.m. every day. <laughs> but she she called him, and he tells the story of how she just has the absolute most excited tone in her voice. And you're ready to get this day started. Morgan had called her dad at 5.30 a.m., from the ferry she took from Oak Bluffs into Woods Hole at the southwest corner of Cape Cod. She told Steve how excited she was, how she could barely sleep the night before, the anticipation of seeing Phil so soon. It was the start of Veterans Day weekend, and from Woods Hole, Morgan caught the first bus to Logan Airport in Boston, boarded a flight to JFK in New York, and hopped a commuter flight into Jacksonville, North Carolina. And finally, an Uber took her to her hotel. Morgan kept in touch with her parents during her travels, and at 7 p.m. that evening, she let them know she was safely in her hotel room. She showered and considered what she'd do for dinner. So I texted her the little bit that I could, but I, I knew she was in constant communication with her parents and my parents and, and everyone else throughout the day. And uh, we did talk on the phone a little bit that night, but the, the squad day was actually a little rowdy. Everyone was excited to go into Dick's Dead weekend and finally have some Liberty hours. And plus it was the, the weekend of the Marine Corps ball. 
So one of the guys ended up buying this big speaker from this PX store. It's, it's kind of like a convenience store that's on all the military bases. And so he, he bought this obnoxious speaker and he was just blaring music. And I was trying to have a conversation with Morgan on the phone. And I said, I'm sorry, can I please text you? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for dinner anyway. And so we were texting each other and I was trying to convince her to have something delivered to her room just for the sake that she was by herself and I, I wasn't there or if anything were to happen, I, I couldn't get there. Plus living on, on an island, we don't have like Uber Eats or anything like that. And so when, whenever I'm off island, I, I try and take full advantage of that. And so I, I just didn't want her to leave her room unnecessarily and just to play it a little more safe. And she had decided to go to the Applebee's that shares a parking lot with her hotel. And her exact text to me was, I know Applebee's sucks, but it's in the same parking lot and I don't want to walk around alone at night. And there's actually security footage from the hotel that shows her leaving her room and she takes the long way around the parking lot, walking underneath all the streetlights to, or underneath the lights in the parking lot to make sure that she stays visible. And I mean, she could have walked out her door, cut across the parking lot and through the bushes that really separated the hotel parking lot from the restaurant parking lot and been at the backside of the Applebee's in less than five minutes. But she chose to take the long way to, to make sure that she stayed visible and stayed safe. Morgan took a seat at the bar at Applebee's and ordered a garden salad with chicken and a Sam Adams Boston lager. While having her dinner, she continued to keep in touch with her parents and with Phil via text. Morgan's last text to her parents came in at 9.42 p.m. that night. She said, okay, going to sleep. Two minutes later, she added, I'll text you in the morning. Renee responded, Love you, good night, with a heart emoji. At 10.19 p.m., Phil texted Morgan, I can't wait to be home doing life with you. Morgan responded at 10.24 p.m. with, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. A minute later, she texted, Also, people bring in cocaine onto base through pizza, just by the way. Phil replied 11 minutes later with, I can't wait either. I'm so excited. I'm going to kiss you all over. His next text, in response to Morgan's comment about cocaine, said, And do they really? At 10.40 p.m., Morgan responded with her last text to Phil, saying, Yes, they do. At 10.45, Phil texted back, That's weird as f***. Ha ha. Nearly an hour later, Phil sent Morgan one more text. I hope you're getting plenty of sleep, baby girl. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. I love you more than anything in the world. One of the things that her and I said to each other all the time before we ended up moving in together was by Tuesday or Wednesday, we would get so frustrated that we couldn't see each other when we got out of work that we would say only one more sleep or only two more sleeps. And you know, meaning the sooner we went to bed, the sooner we'd be one day closer to seeing each other. And I know we were both thinking the exact same thing. And as much as we wanted to stay up all night texting each other, I, I knew that just tell each other one more sleep. And because that, that's 
all we had. You know, this, the sooner we went to bed that night, the sooner we'd, we'd wake up and you know, we'd, we'd see each other first thing in the morning. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Let's take a break. Morgan Patton's final handwritten journal entry was dated one day before her trip and gives a glimpse into her love for her fiancé. November 7th, 2019. You and your love are the greatest gifts that God could have ever given me. Everything that came before you makes sense now. Every decision, every mistake, every broken heart, every move I ever made. It was all so that I could find you and love you for the rest of my life. It could be a coincidence, but I think our stars were aligned long before either of us knew what love truly was. Love isn't just one simple feeling. It is so much more than that. It's the feeling of my breath getting taken away just from you catching my eye or holding me so close I can count your heartbeats. It is sacrificing time and energy just so that we can push each other towards achieving our dreams. It's praying to God to give each other our own strength and safety when we can't be there for each other. Love is the most challenging, frustrating, beautiful mess I have ever felt. But loving you and having your love in return is everything I have ever wanted and everything I will always need. You are my moon, my stars my greatest adventure in this world. I love you for every second of our forever. Before Phil sent his last text to his future wife, and as Steve and Renee were heading to bed up in New Hampshire, at 11.07 p.m. on November 8, 2019, Onslow County Emergency Medical Services declared Morgan Patton dead 27 minutes after her last text to Phil. She was lying in a ditch, face down in front of a home on White Oak River Road in Maysville, North Carolina, nearly 13 miles away from the Baymont Hotel and Suites she was registered at. First responders arrived, and there was nothing they could do for the young, unidentified woman that they found without a pulse. They searched for a purse or some form of identification but found nothing. It was a chaotic scene where the fatal crash had occurred just minutes earlier. According to the Onslow County EMS patient records, at approximately 10.46 p.m., a 911 call had come in from a residence nearby requesting emergency services. There's conflicting reports about what time the fatal crash had happened. Richard Weaver, with Maysville Fire and EMS, said the gray 2002 Chevy Silverado pickup that was transporting Morgan Patton that night left the roadway going approximately 80 miles per hour and struck a tree before flipping over several times. It was said the crash occurred at 10.49 p.m. Not possible if the 911 call came in three minutes earlier. The North Carolina Highway Patrol says the crash occurred even later, at 10.51 p.m. The driver of the pickup truck was a young male walking in circles around the debris field, which was littered with beer cans. 
He was heard repeatedly saying, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. He was identified as 22-year-old Hunter Wells of the United States Marine Corps. Wells told responding officers that he didn't know the woman who had been ejected and was now partially trapped under his truck. They'd only just met earlier that night. He said her name was Morgan, that she did have a purse on her, and that she was from New Hampshire. She was staying at a hotel across from the Applebee's in Jacksonville. Wells was taken to a nearby naval hospital and treated for minor injuries. His buddy, 20-year-old Charles Cornwall, also a United States Marine, was found partially hanging out of the rear passenger window with such severe injuries that EMS did not expect him to survive. Five hours and 42 minutes after Morgan was declared dead, Steve Patton received a knock at his door. The sun hadn't even risen yet. Lieutenant Ed Shaughnessy of the Bradford, New Hampshire Police Department was dispatched to the Patton residence and delivered to Steve, face-to-face, his worst nightmare. There had been a fatal crash the night before in Maysville, North Carolina, and as a result, Steve's daughter Morgan was pronounced dead at the scene. What followed was utter shock and disbelief. The last that Steve and Renee had heard was that Morgan was on her way to bed after eating dinner just a few hundred feet from her hotel room. She didn't have a car down in North Carolina. Neither did her fiancé, Phil. What's more, the crash had occurred miles away from where Morgan had been staying. Coming up next on Method and Madness, Part 2 of Morgan's Story. What happened the night of November 8, 2019? What events led up to Morgan Patton's death? How, after spending 13 hours traveling south to see her fiancé, did she end up in a truck with two strangers, traveling at a high speed, down a dark road? There's a lot more to dive into. Until next time, I leave you with Morgan's favorite poem by Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Thank you to Steve and Renee Patton and to Phil Brandon for sharing Morgan with us. To keep up with Morgan's story, join the Facebook page Miles for Morgan and visit Steve and Renee's blog at morgansmilestogo.com. Check the show notes for more details. Thank you for listening to this episode of Method and Madness. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or review, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. 
To connect, I'm on X at Method Pod and on Instagram at Method of Madness Pod. I'm also on Facebook. To chat, suggest a case, or discuss the episode, reach out to me at methodandmadnesspod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. Sound editing is by Moen Spo. Voiceover of Morgan's Journal Entry by Anna Cohen. That's it for this week. Until next time, take care of yourself. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741.